0: Hello. Hi, is this Millie Francis? Yes. I'm a reporter with Catholic News Agency, and since I work for a Catholic organization, we're obviously interested in everything going on, so...
1: Um, Somebody yeah. better be, because I'm telling you, <laughs> if you had to put up with this manager here, you wouldn't like it very well.
2: <laughs> You've reached the CNA newsroom. CNA newsroom. CNA newsroom. CNA newsroom.
3: CNA newsroom.
2: Welcome to CNA
4: Newsroom. This is CNA Newsroom, a podcast that breaks down great stories and the Catholic news that matters each week. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. Today is Christmas Party Day at the CNA office, and we are excited. And yesterday, we celebrated the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. We're going to have some stories about Our Lady in this week's episode. We also spoke this week with the president of the National March for Life, which will be January 18th in Washington, D.C. Before we get to those, Here are this week's top stories.
2: The Archdiocese of Campinas, Brazil, is asking for prayers after a gunman opened fire inside the local cathedral on Tuesday. The gunman killed four people before taking his own life. Three cardinals, including Cardinal George Pell, have been dropped from the pope's advisory group of nine cardinals known as the C9. The council was organized five years ago to advise the pope on church governance and reform. There are no immediate plans to add new members. And finally, the Vatican announced this week that the Pope will travel to Bulgaria and Macedonia in early May, and the trip will include a visit to St. Teresa of Calcutta's hometown. Mother Teresa is commonly associated with India, but she spent the first 17 years of her life in Macedonia before entering religious life. You can find these stories and more on CatholicNewsAgency.com. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. In 1973,
4: the U.S. Supreme Court decision Roe v. Wade invalidated state prohibitions against abortion, making abortion legal across the country. Ever since, pro-life advocates have marched on the streets of our nation's capital, peacefully calling for a repeal of that decision in an annual event called the March for Life. Maybe some of you have been. Now in its 46th year, the March for Life draws hundreds of thousands of people from across the country, along with presidents, politicians, bishops, cultural leaders, a guy with a shofar all of them marching in the defense of the sanctity of life. The next March for Life will take place January 18th. CNA will have reporters on the ground. But we wanted to connect with the president of the March for Life in the weeks before this big event to hear what she's excited about and to get her take on the state of the pro-life movement. Since 2012, Jeannie Mancini has been president of the March for Life Education and Defense Fund, and the annual March for Life is a big part of her job. CNA's managing editor, Michelle LaRosa, gave Jeannie a call this week. Here's their conversation.
5: For any of our listeners who have never attended the d c March, can you kind of describe what it's like to be there? Oh, yeah, well,
6: first of all, for anyone who hasn't attended, let me extend a personal invitation because I can describe it, but it's it's like describing you know a mountain versus actually going and having the experience of of seeing that glorious mountain and it's it's so different to actually be there in person um, so it, at least for myself, one of the most moving aspects of the March for Life every year is um, the sheer volume and enthusiasm of the young people who are participating and, and also just the sheer volume of participants all together. From where I stand, you can't see the end of the crowd and to have major um, streets in D.C., so 14th Street, Constitution Avenue, all of these different major roads closed down and they're they're just swarmed with people as we're shutting down the city to march for the single most important human rights abuse of today, to, to march against that of abortion and to march to protect the unborn. And so um, sort of the significance of, of shutting down our nation's capital
5: in the middle of a work week is pretty exciting. You know, I've been to the march a couple of times. And the thing that always strikes me is probably just how young the attendees are. You know, the average age of participants has got to be high school, college. There's just so many young people. Why do you think that the pro-life movement resonates with so many young people? There was a
6: wonderful quote from St. John Paul II that young people are the best ambassadors for Christ. And they haven't, developed like a cynicism towards the world, there's still such a hopefulness and an energy about social justice issues and human rights issues. And young people know truth. They know that in leaders, they know that in lessons that they're taught, and they sort of call things for what they are. And they they believe that social justice begins in the womb. That just makes sense to them. You also have alongside that, just this whole this whole experience of seeing my little brother or sister's ultrasound at six weeks and, you know, hearing that it was going to be a boy or a girl, you know, at a certain point in time. And so with the, in terms of science and technology, it's developed so much so that we see the humanity of the unborn at such an early stage now. So I think that this question of, is it a life is um, it's the answer is much more obvious because of technology.
5: Uh, Looking at the political side of the pro-life movement, last year President Trump became the first sitting president to address the March for Life via a live stream video. That was somewhat controversial. Pro-life Democrat Dan Lipinski ended up canceling his appearance at the rally because he was uncomfortable being associated with Trump. How are you navigating these political waters and trying to keep people united and focused on the message of the pro-life movement? I do it just with a great deal of prayer and discernment, and and knowing I'm a flawed, you know, instrument of God and
6: His will, but but trying to, trying to just figure out in the moment what is the right thing to do and what does God want here. But the point that you've made is such a good one that we always try to have both sides of the political aisle represented at the March for Life, and sadly, that's become harder and harder. Um, Dan Lipinski is one of my heroes. He's just such a a great man and and truly a statesman in in the real sense of the word. And that's unusual on Capitol Hill these days, in my my humble opinion. Um, but we also seek to get legislators from around the country in, you know, state houses and what have you, because there are many pro-life Democrats at the state level. so um, So that is something that we're hoping to see at this year's March for Life. And we have been just blown away by how pro-life the Trump administration has been. And of course, you know, there's lots of other things um, related to human dignity later in life, but on the on the protection of the unborn, this this administration's been really fantastic.
5: Jeannie, you've been president of the March for Life since 2012. What are the areas that you want to focus on? Do you have any goals for the next few years? Uh, something that we've put a lot of sort of time and energy and resources into in the six years that I've
6: been with March for life, six and a half years um, has been growing our evangelical presence at the March for life. We're, we're a very sort of, grassroots Catholic sort of movement, so to speak. And it's been fun to invite our evangelical brothers and sisters to be more present. So that's been very exciting. We've also worked to grow our social media presence quite a bit. Um, the founder of the March for Life was 88 when she passed away. And so she wasn't that engaged in social media. And so it's been fun to work with the young people and, and to grow that presence. So Looking forward, we have goals um, to move into the states. So we're starting to embark upon state marches. And that's something that I'm hoping to, to explain a little bit more to people in January. And it's something that we've been working on for a year and a half. So that's exciting. And we also just want to make sure that Marchers that get so excited, you know, the day of the March, and it's 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 like a, almost a life-changing experience in terms of motivation and and enthusiasm and all of that, that they take that energy home and make a difference in their local communities. And so we're trying to do what we can to really tool up the grassroots.
5: forty five years after Roe v Wade, are you hopeful that we will see an end to abortion in our lifetime? I
6: am. I am. I mean, there's sort of two sides to it. Um, On one hand, you, you know, daily, you feel like you're sort of swimming upstream in our culture, and especially with regard to changing hearts and minds. And um, even today, of course, there's news out that the Supreme Court isn't hearing the um, question of whether state Medicaid programs can choose their health providers and, you know, not have groups like abortion providers as part of that. Um, so every day there's something new. And so sort of the daunting nature of building a culture of life is at least always on my heart. Um, on the other hand, there are all sorts of signs of good news, like the downtick in the number of abortions every year that we heard from CDC about a month ago, and also the changing of hearts and minds. Eight out of 10 Americans would limit abortion more than it's limited in our country. And that that's really shocking that, you know, the law isn't reflective of that. So so there's many good things happening and and another like major major wonderful good news story is just that um the number of pregnancy resource centers has has swapped with the number of abortion clinics. So so years ago there were maybe you know 500 pregnancy care centers in the late 80s early 90s and there were 2000 abortion clinics. And now that's swapped. Now there are about 700 abortion clinics in our country and nearly 3000 pregnancy care centers around the country. And these are primarily volunteer staff and they've got, you know, medical volunteers. They've got doctors that are volunteering to do sonograms. These clinics are getting more and more sophisticated. So there are all sorts of, um, of great signs that we're building a culture of life, but do we have our work cut out for us?
5: You bet. Absolutely. And, you know, I didn't know that about the the pro-life centers. That's really great news because supporting women in difficult pregnancies is such a huge part of the pro-life movement, something that we have to be pushing as well.
6: Absolutely. It's, it's like the heartbeat of the pro-life movement, really. And it's the untold story in so many ways.
5: Well, Jeannie, we are excited for this year's March, uh, January 18th. CNA will be there to cover it. I know you're very busy. So thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Oh,
6: thanks so much for having me.
3: Kate Vike. I'm a producer for Catholic News Agency, and I have a great story to share with you this week. Our reporter Mary Rezach wrote about this story last week, and she conducted all the interviews you're about to hear in a second here. The story is about a feisty Catholic woman in her 80s, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and a trailer park in Florida. The story starts back in April, but it was first picked up by a local reporter in early November.
7: I was a little confused when I got the phone call.
3: By the way, this is Mark Young. He's a reporter at the Bradington Herald.
7: Well, well let's start from the beginning. I mean, Millie called me about, um, it was right around the first of the month, maybe the last day of October. And uh, she just, she started she, tried, she started to try to explain what it was that was happening to her. And I was trying to follow her because she was really upset. I mean, she was literally, I mean, she was bawling on the phone. So it it took a little bit for me to get her calmed down and kind of tell me her story. And once I kind of understood it, then I was like, well, it just doesn't seem right.
3: Millie Francis is 85 years old. She lives in a retirement community trailer park in West Central Florida. She's been there for about 10 years, but this year she decided she wanted to replace the window of her mobile home with plywood, because she said a neighbor was being nosy and she was bothered by the light from the flashlights of security guards walking through her complex at night. Millie went the appropriate route to make that change. She contacted Vanguard Property Management at her trailer park and she got permission. Then she had a moment of inspiration.
1: All I know is I went to the library uh, around April to get some ideas of what to put out there because I I didn't have permission to put anything out there, only to take the window out and uh, replace it, but I didn't tell them with what yet. And I was seeing different pictures there, and all of a sudden, I, I turned the page to one of the books and had a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe in there, and I just told myself, uh, that's it. So, I, w- I was going on 3.30, and masses at 4 o'clock, and so I went to Mass, and 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 on my way back it just almost like I mean it hit me like lightning that that's it I made up my
3: mind that's what it was going to be. For Millie the project transformed into an opportunity for her to express her love for and devotion to the Virgin Mary.
1: I just been inspired not just by her but Our Lady of Fatima. I just she has so many images that uh, it, it it's hard to name every one of them, but I tell you, I played every one of them. So
3: Millie recruits the help of a friend to remove her window, they install a piece of plywood, and then her friend hand paints a large depiction of Our Lady of Guadalupe. In the image, Our Lady has warm brown skin. Her dark hair is tucked under a bright teal robe that is trimmed with yellow gold. Her hands are folded in prayer, and she's surrounded by bronze and gold beams of light. All in all, a decent replication of the original image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. For Millie and her friend, it was perfect. But when Millie's property manager saw it, she was less than impressed.
1: She came around in her golf cart with a leg hanging out and cigarette mount. She said, it's coming down. And I said, no, it's not.
7: I was still a little skeptical because... You know, I mean, art can be a little bit subjective to people, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure what the painting looked like or or anything like that until so I went out and visited with her.
3: This is Mark Young again.
7: It's a beautiful piece. It's done really elegantly, and and it's beautiful. And I just <clears throat> sat her down listened to what she had to say, and and it just didn't it just didn't seem right. The documentation I saw, you know, says that she was allowed to remove the window, replace it. and and paint. Uh, It didn't say paint what, but it did say paint.
3: Millie's property manager says the painting has to be removed because Millie didn't complete the entire project by October 31st, per their agreement. The manager also says Millie didn't get permission from the Trailer Park's Architectural Review Committee.
1: It was just one thing after another. I don't care what it was. Constantly, I was afraid sometimes to open up the mail or get my mail out of the mailbox thinking I'd get another letter from her.
3: Millie says the project was completed on time. She says the push to remove the painting is an act of discrimination against her Catholic faith. The painting isn't the only outward expression of faith in the neighborhood. Mark told us he saw several statues of angels on the drive to Millie's place, And even a couple signs saying "Smile, God loves you."
7: I mean, from what I understand, that I've received a few different emails from residents out there who support her. I've not received anything from anybody who is against her.
3: Lawyers representing the property management company gave Millie 30 days until December 9th to remove the painting. As of the publication of this episode on December 13th the painting is still up. For Millie, who has had nine stints placed in her heart and was even once declared clinically dead for 15 minutes, this is a fight she's willing to die for.
1: I coded back in, uh, let's see, I had my open heart surgery in 88. I had three stints done then. And then in 2002, I had three more stints put in at Christ Hospital in Cincinnati, and that's when I coded on the table, and I saw St. Jude then. And I made up my mind then and there, if I could do anything to bring people back to Catholic Church, I would. It's not going anywhere. They had to kill me first because they're not going to touch it.
3: Our reporter Mary Rezach did attempt to contact Vanguard Property Management and the office at Millie's retirement community, Tropical Palms. Neither responded by publication. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Fike.
4: 487 years ago, in December 1531, the Mother of God appeared in Mexico. She didn't appear in a cathedral, or to the bishop, or to Indian or Spanish leaders. She appeared on a hill outside the city to a 57-year-old Indian man named Juan Diego. She told him she was his merciful mother. She promised to be a healer of sorrows. She gave him roses, and she left her image on his tilma, the long tunic he wore. Today, her image is inseparable from Mexican culture. But actually, Catholics worldwide are devoted to Our Lady of Guadalupe. She's not just patroness of Mexico, but of all America and of other nations around the world. We talked about Our Lady of Guadalupe with Monsignor Eduardo Chavez in Mexico City. He's head of the Institute for Guadalupean Studies, and he led the process that made Juan Diego a saint. Here's what he had to say.
0: Thanks so much for being with us today, Monsignor Chavez. My first question has to do with uh, the devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. How has it spread beyond Mexico? Are there any Latin American countries that have a particular devotion to her, or is it kind of a general devotion that has spread throughout the region?
8: The Holy Virgin of Guadalupe herself, when she introduces herself to Juan Diego, says, I am your merciful mother to you and to all the inhabitants of this land and all the rest who love me.
2: In 1531, there
8: were no borders in the Americas, but just in case we need clarification, the Virgin herself says to Juan Diego, and of all the other people of different ancestries who love me, then from the Virgin of Guadalupe herself, it is declared that she is not only for Mexicans, but for the whole world. Mexico obviously has strongest devotion to the Virgin of Guadalupe because she is its main patroness. It's obvious through the centuries and all the miracles she has performed there. But again, there are no borders for devotion to her. There are no divisions. Every time I go to Peru where they have another patroness, Guadalupe arrives and Peruvians do not reject because she's Mexican or they do not feel forced to be devoted to her. No, on the contrary, it is a tremendous joy to celebrate her. And same for Chile, Argentina, for all the countries of Latin America. But now she's entering the United States and Canada with such force. Initially, She was best known by Mexicans and all the people of Latin America who have a strong devotion and affection for her. But lately, Anglo-Americans have taken her as their patroness. And for me, the turning point was St. John Paul II, when he named her patroness of all of America. De
4: toda America.
8: So Our Lady of
0: Guadalupe was named the Empress of the Americas in 1945 and then the Patroness of the Americas. What is the difference between these two titles and the significance of them?
8: One title does not threaten the other. There is no problem in calling her Empress of the Americas. The title given in 1945, but the title of patroness of all America is even deeper. There are no divisions. She used to be called Empress of the Americas because by then the Americans were considered divided into the southern part and its Hispanic and Portuguese culture and the northern part with its English and French culture. But St. John Paul named her in 1999 patroness of all America, singularly because for the love of God, there are no divisions.
0: How has devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe spread beyond the Latino culture? In what way or in what areas or movements in the church um, have a particular devotion to her?
4: Son los Americanos de Unidos,
8: it's the Americans from the United States and possibly Canadians who have taken the Virgin of Guadalupe as a patroness of pro-life work because she is a pregnant woman and she carries Jesus Christ our Lord in her immaculate womb. She is the patroness of life from the moment of conception. Some immigration movements have also adopted her as patroness because Mary also had to leave her town to protect Jesus together with Joseph.
0: What is the importance or the significance of the widespread devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe?
4: Maria Judeo?
8: Miriam was her Jewish name and Guadalupe, her Arabic name, and speaking in Nahuatl, that is, she became Mexican, she became indigenous, mestizo, or mixed. She is the woman of all. She is the mother of all. That is why she is a perfect inculturation, that is to say, she puts Jesus in the heart of every human being, beyond language, tradition, custom, politics, beyond divisions, beyond all. She puts Jesus Christ our Lord in the human heart, making us brothers. We are the one family of God. That is why she asked for a sacred little house, which for the native meant a temple. And when speaking of a temple, the natives understood the beginning of a new civilization because the construction of a new town always began with the construction of a temple. That is why she is making a new civilization of God's love, where there are no borders or divisions, where we are all the one family of God. Her dark skin, her mestizo skin, also signals she is the mother of all people.
0: What do you most want Catholics to know about Our Lady of Guadalupe?
8: The blanket of this indigenous Juan Diego is almost 500 years old. A tilma that, in this humid environment, should have lasted no more than two years reproductions of the tilma from the 18th century did not last eight or nine years imagine it has survived 500 years through a bombing someone dropping acid on it earthquakes
4: the touches and kisses of early
8: pilgrims contamination from fumes and pollution despite everything the image will soon be 500 years old.
4: That's it for us, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can check out the stories we talked about and others at catholicnewsagency.com. This week, we wrote about a guilty verdict for Australian Cardinal George Pell in a sexual abuse trial, about homeless students in New York City, about a priest who survived a plane crash, and a number of other cool and important stories. Please subscribe to CNA Newsroom on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and many others. And please give us a review. Let us know what you think. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Vike. Special thanks this week to David Ramos, Ursula Mora, and Alejandro Bermudez for translation and voiceover help. We'll be back next week. So in the words of the great Dr. Dre, just chill to the next episode, everybody.